to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Um, podcasts aren't good for either minutes silence or minutes of applause. So I guess we'll just have to talk about how great Dan Levy was before we get into the, the rest of the week's happenings. He was one of my favourite players, uh, full stop. And I think from the first time I saw him play in the uh, Senior Cup final on on TV in uh, 2012, I was like, that guy's going to play for Ireland. And he's in a very elite crew of people I'd seen uh, at Senior Cup level where I was like, that guy's going to play for Ireland. And I knew it was completely right. I think Rob Kearney and uh, Gordon Darcy were two of the other ones that spring to mind. Um, he had an absolutely amazing career. He made an incredible, he did incredibly well to come back from such a terrible injury, and he, he seems to have a brilliant attitude. So, I uh, want to wish Dan Levy all the best for the rest of his career and what a career it was for Leinster and for Ireland. Eleven wins out of eleven, and a Grand Slam, and a European Cup, and three leagues. Yeah, you said it all there. Uh, like you, we we actually didn't watch the Senior Cup final together. I watched it with the other model. And I remember I hadn't seen him play before that, but I'd read reports in um, in the Irish Times, and they were like they were so glad. I thought like this fella has to be overhyped. And then just like halfway through, you go, Jesus, this fella is fucking every bit as good as he's supposed to be. I I remember that same match as well, and the fact that Levy had been talked about when he was. I think he played in the senior cup when he was fifteen. Yeah, I think as so. A, yeah, as a fourth year. Oh, so anyway, he 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 was prominent from that, and Leo Cullen referred to the fact he was one of these guys that was earmarked on the way up. But uh, the story in that year was all about the Byrne brothers playing for Clongos. So Clongos had an all singing, all dancing team, yeah. and that's where all the focus was before the match. And uh, Levy just ended up being absolutely brilliant. And um, I don't know if to give that man of the match, but he he was the best player in the pitch. So I remember that, and I remember, um, I remember it was a Lions tour, and I was really looking for it on Twitter. So it must have been twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. and you had to in a year in advance, you had to put like you know who do you think would be your bolters for the Lions and mine blah 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 blah. blah. Who do you think you're outside and and Dan Levy. Who be your starting pack? That was what it was. Who be your starting pack for the line? So it was like seven fairly, you know, well-established names, and I had Dan Levy as the open side. And somebody, uh, uh, Thoman Mudlark or something, <laughs> made, a, made a comment. I, I like, And I definitely went back the following year looking, searching for it, searching for it, need to it. And that was the goal because I was there going, I never go back to this stuff on Twitter, but I'm definitely going back to this. And I couldn't find it. Ah, look, he was, he was, he was brilliant. I remember Van der Freer getting injured against France and Levy come on as a sub in, in, in the year that we won the Grand Slam. And you don't want to see somebody get injured, but I went, that is an upgrade. Um, I remember his game against Saracens very well. 
so it was the quarterfinal that we beat them in <clears throat> 2018, sort of April 2018. Uh, he scored a try in that, but he also just had um, he just had a massive game. He was always just he was just bashing people all the time. Like he he had great offloading game. He scored loads of tries. He was really canny like he uh but he just one of his best things was just like constantly bashing people he was so tough so competitive and uh you know he had that he had that canny streak into him like he got caught so but against against claremont in the previous year semi-final holding back rugery but like even now i just go yeah he got penalized and scored tries still the right thing to do like he like i don't know how to fucking touch your shot or the tmo it was so canny. It was like, I was like, oh, Jesus. Somewhere Jen, I was wiping a silent tear away, you know? And so he's got you at it all as an open side. <clears throat> and, you know, he basically won it all. Won everything you can win in, in European rugby. Grand Slam, European Cup, League. Um, yeah. So it's... it's uh, what, what else is there? So, like, it's a, comp- a huge shame that he's had to retire, but it's amazing that he got back from that catastrophic knee injury uh, to even play against and abs- as you say it's an absolute testament to his competitive spirit and his his uh it's just not just the competitive spirit but just like the diligence with which he applied himself like that shit must be both painful and boring which is a shit combination the, uh, the, there was two other things i remember one sort of a longer term one very recently in short term at the longer term one was I was at the 2015 World Cup. I went to a number of matches, and one of them was France and New Zealand. I was curious what did what did guys do um, in real time, like you know when you're not having to follow around the camera and all that sort of stuff. And, and both McCon Duzatwar defended in the same way, and that they always went to the middle of the pitch. They always went to the centre of the pitch, so they were always there to make tackles. They always they, they gave themselves the opportunity of going for the breakdown. Um, they sort of expose themselves against faster guys, and I was like, Jesus, like this is this is sort of standardised how open sides play. And Levy was the only other guy I saw who played like that. Um, most most open sides don't take up that position mm. um, where I don't know, like playing as the librero in in a way, but like the, in that you have to cover. I'm more playing like Virgil van Dijk in that you just you have to cover a, a lot yeah. and you have to have the ability to do it. And then the short-term one, and this is kind of what surprised me, in a way it didn't surprise me that he retired because his legs had gone um, on all his comebacks and he got injured, had another serious injury after coming back and then had picked up other injuries, which is like Jerry Flannery. But in the match against, um, he was ahead of schedule. And he played, he was on the bench for the Treviso match, which is, I think, the last match he was involved with for Leinster. And in a phase of play, uh, Tracy got blown off the ball uh, in going in for a jackal. And then either one rook or two rooks later, Levy won a penalty and under the same amount of pressure mm-hmm. and he just wouldn't be budged. And you were like, he's a beast. Yeah. Anyway, what a great player. Now, onto the current greats of Leinster, a thrilling a reaffirming and vitalizing performance by Leinster on Saturday night. It's been a long time since they played Munster, and I was really looking forward to it. Uh, I was at home sick, so I wasn't going anywhere, and uh, it didn't it didn't disappoint one bit. Uh, Leinster stepped it up, in particular at the start of the second half. 
in a way that was just like you knew they were going to do it and then they executed it so well. Um, it was a vintage performance. The yeah. Best of the season. Best, of the best performance of the season. And I, I really enjoyed the game. As uh, Like you, I was watching from home, sick. Um, and I thought that the first half was you know quite evenly matched. I thought it was a, a well-refereed game, a really good standard of a game. And then in the second half, there were some absolutely superb tries. Um, and like you say, a very, a very affirming uh, victory, very enjoyable to watch. And and you know you know an interesting um, and, and when I say interesting, I say like. There's a lot to discuss about the the performance. Yeah, so let's start, and we're going to go through it a little bit more forensically, I guess, than we normally would. But um, one of the things you'd pointed out to me was the uh, line-outs that Leinster um, used lots of different jumpers as a as a means, you know, of varying up their attack and all. Yeah, so uh, reviewing it there... A couple of days ago, they they used five different uh, people in in the lineout. So there was uh, Devin Toner, Conan, Doris Van der Fleer, and Jack Dunn. Uh, could you just go through? Who yeah. was Toner three, Conan three, Doris three, Van der Fleer two, and Jack Dunn one take. Yeah, um, they they didn't win all their lineouts. Their first lineout was uh, they got a free kick against them as as. Dev Toner said in an interview afterwards, James, the, the stadium noise was so loud that James Tracy couldn't hear his call. Uh, but that was the only one they didn't win. And then, I, I, <clears throat> excuse me, you had this down as a sort of under another kind of topic, but I think I, I look at it as a line out place about where they use Josh Vanderfleer and Leinster do it with Scott Penny as well. So with, with Josh Vanderfleer, they use him passing off the base of what looks like a line-out mall or we mm-hmm. just set up as a line-out mall or like a, a bring it down and then pop it out. And it keeps... Munster's forwards are in tight, like you're mm-hmm. expecting to defend them all. Uh, Leinster's scrum half is out wide. Mm-hmm. And it means that you've... So basically the scrum half is getting us where the out half should be. Mm-hmm. And then your best passing player is in a position where he can pass it to your your midfield um, wider, which means that you can target the 13 channel, the 13 15 channel effectively, either with uh, like your 13 running at that gap, or with you know, it doesn't really matter, like you know, them pushing across, but the, the, the defense have to scramble to get across. Mm-hmm. And Leinster do the same with Scott Penny. Mm. Um, and Scott Penny is, is, if anything, is a better passer than Josh van der Fleer. Like Scott Penny's a better passer than Luke McGrath. Oh, he, I, he actually I, is, yeah. I'm not saying that lightly. Mm. To, to the extent where you look at Scott Penny and you go, Jesus, like Leinster could play him at scrum half if they needed to convert him. Yeah. The, the two open sides passed the ball so well, both uh, Van der Fleer and Penny. And it's not just a case of like, oh, they passed the ball well, you know, right to left. The guys are throwing great, like, scrum half quality passes off both hands. And, you know, close to a mall, close to a breakdown, under, like, a degree of pressure. And, you know, setting it out in front of them, having players run onto the ball, really impressive because it takes composure as well as skill. You know, if you're only doing things, say, four times in a match or three times in a match and you know that you're there to launch something, 
like there's that additional bit of pressure. So for that skill to uh, to become so reliable is is really uh, it's just a, such an asset. And the other thing you said is like they use <clears throat> off that same sort of line out setup that they have. They use a blindside winger, so he stands for uh, I think it was Jimmy O'Brien's try. Lowe was standing behind Ross Byrne, so directly behind him. So it's looking like. You know, it might be uh, that he, that Ross Byrne might just step out of the way late and, 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 for example, Lowe will just run straight at the opposition 10. But in this case, he just goes completely sideways behind everyone. And even though uh, I think uh, Farrell made a tackle on Ringrose and the ball bobbled loose, Henshaw gathered it and he knew where Lowe was going to be and he didn't try and do anything like... <clears throat> he didn't try and make a hero of himself. He just goes, I know where Lowe is going to be. Bobbled it, caught it, passed it to Lowe, and then Lowe throws a huge flat pass to Jimmy O'Brien. And in that, in that case, they use, you know, they're going really wide and then super wide to get to O'Brien, who you know took his try brilliantly. I, I would say I thought it was the most um <clears throat> it was the most I've ever seen the uh, v- very, very um or the the, the, the very big correlation between how Ireland play, having watched them now, whatever, five times in a row, and then and how Leinster play. Uh, and I think one of the things that really um, under is underlined throughout, it, it, when Ireland played really well, in particular against Wales, uh, and in time moments against England, um, is the quality of the passing mm-hmm. um, throughout the team. And I, I always say that, like, you know, the most important things in rugby are running straight and passing well, but I, like more so than offloading. Like good passing is 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 way more important because like you you've way more opportunity to do it. Yeah, you have more variety if you can pass well. Like an offload is typically going to be not that it's, it's like it's typically going to be to a player within you know, three or four meters of you. Whereas you know for Ross Burns' first pass for Ringrose's try. You know, that's 15-meter, 18-meter cutout pass. Uh, same for Lowe's second try, the one that he arcs over Earls. Earls goes full height, full extension, and it's it's within, like, six inches to a foot at the top of his hands. You know, it's just so well judged. Uh, but also, Henshaw's passing. What, I think twice in the one move for Lowe's first try, it's just so well judged it's they're flat hard passes that hit low in stride and you're going and low is so effective um in pretty much every aspect of rugby this season but especially when he gets the ball wide ships two tackles and is still coming inside and still going forward just a strength like he's like a movable column basically people are smashing into him and he's still going forward still coming inside still keeping the ball alive Mm. and um you noted as well, uh, yeah, amongst the back three, Jimmy O'Brien has a has his own background as a as a fly half. Yeah, well, he started when he was in Newbridge College. He was uh, an out half, and then <clears throat> he played on the same uh, under twenties team as um, Conor O'Brien and Shane Daly. They were the starting centres in twenty sixteen. James Ryan's team, uh, and Jimmy played. I think he got. I think he started twice as a 12 and once as a 13. And now he's lining out against Munster, lining out as a 14, but most regularly for Leinster as a 15. And the fact that he has, 
you know, starting out, like he's brought into the academy as as an out half, and then more likely at 12, you know, he's going to be our second distributor. And then they find, like, he played a good bit of 13 in his second season. And then it's like, oh, he can play 13 or 15. And at 15, I think he's found his his home. Uh, But then again, like, his performance as a finisher, you know, not just in the Munster game, but also against Bath, scoring four tries is a, like, that's that's some day for anybody. And... uh, He's he can finish as well, you know. So you've got a guy who's who's got a load of football in him in terms of passing uh, and kicking. A good left-footed kicker, who's good in the air. He's a fullback by trade, but he can also finish. And then there's sort of another aspect of both his and Hugo Keane's game, which does get mentioned, but it's hard to see unless. And as I say, I wasn't at this game, but I've seen a lot of Jimmy O'Brien play live. It's like how much he moves off the ball, and like. It's, he works so hard off the ball to get into positions. Uh, now, sometimes it's like, a lot of the time, the thing about working hard off the ball is it's, there's no reward for it. You're just in a good position, and for example, in defence, somebody looks up, they're about to kick, and they see that you're there, and they don't kick. And you don't get any fucking points for that. Nobody goes, oh, great positioning. You know, they do call it great positioning if they then, it's the out half, say, or fullback from the opposite team makes the decision to kick you and you're there. But if you're putting off a guy from kicking by having moved into a good position... It's as effective. Jimmy O'Brien strikes me as very similar to Hugo Keenan because neither of them were that heralded. Even even at the beginning of this season, Jimmy O'Brien was like Hugo Keenan was maybe a season two ago or a season ago or two seasons ago mm-hmm. where you go, oh, he's kind of another generic Leinster academy player. Like he'll get two starts in this block of matches and that might be it. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. like we'll see him, you know, three more times throughout the year and and he like he could be one of three or he could be one of four and that sounds like I don't know how callous that sounds cuz you know that's somebody's son. But you know Mr. like Mr. There's, Mr. There's, Mrs. There's, there's a lot of but there's 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 guys like that. Yeah, of in, course. in Leinster. And four of them are called O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. No, no relation. Um or burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's he's a guy who played sevens. Mm, good point. He's a guy, as you said, like he played in different positions when he's in school. And I and I think it seems to be a sort of a feature of this Leinster team. So the sevens thing again, I'm I'm impressed. I I think Ireland have used their sevens team very well. I was it was a shame that they didn't produce in the Olympics and and create a story because the qualifier for the Olympics was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I thought Jordan Conroy was going to be one of the stars of the Olympics, um, never mind of the sevens. I, 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 but, you know, like sport doesn't work out like that all the time. So I think Jimmy's fitness, and we talked about how wide Leinster looked to get the ball, um, and Hugo Keenan is very fit, is is how often, sorry, how much Leinster target ball in playtime. So Felipe Comptoponi came out after the Montpellier match that Leinster won at home. Well, there's only one match. Um, this season, where they, what, was it 80 or 90 points? 90 points or something and like that. And said, look, you know, okay, this wasn't their strongest team, but like, a lot of these guys played last week and 
they played 40 minutes ball and play time. They played 30 minutes ball and play time last week. Like we brought them to places that they weren't comfortable with. And I'd, it was the first time I'd seen it expressed that explicitly that this is, this is what we're about. Like we have a philosophy. We, this didn't happen by accident. We go, Jesus, would you look at that? Yeah. The ball was in play. I didn't even notice the time. The ball in play. Um, not only did, did they go looking for the stat afterwards, they went looking to create the stat beforehand. Like this this is an express way that they want to approach the game. And it struck me, I wrote something about um, going through the phases and I went, going through the phases, bollocks. Like if you don't score after three phases, you're as well off kicking it away because you're not going to score. Mm-hmm. And Murray... Kinsella, it was either this week or last week, came out going, I hate the phrase going through the phases. And I went, that is about as strong as you would get Murray to express his dislike for anything. <laughs> Such a pleasant man. Yeah. So well balanced. Um, and it also reminded me that if if everyone is all in on something, just there's, there's a great trade in the, in the contrarian take. And Leinster do go through the phases. Now, they don't do it by just going one out repeatedly. Mm. And, well, you know, that's <laughs> by dint of going one out repeatedly with no variation, magically some good will come of it. it it's not like that. But they, they're looking to do ball and play and they have the ability to go wide um, very effectively. And, and the ability to pass that even if they're not going off the most uh, well-set-up ball, they will be able to create something mm-hmm. three rooks later. Because somebody will make a break. Like, I mean, it'll be Doris yeah, or it'll be, be Ronan Kelleher <laughs> or it'll Dan be Josh Sheehan. van der Fleer or it'll be Dan Sheehan. Like, somebody will make a break off, you know, what's what's not the best ball, and then you can go wide again. Um, so very much target that. So then when you were talking about, like, geez, after the first half, this is pretty close. You go, it is after... 40 minutes of playing yeah, like this. But so they, maybe, there's, a, there's another 40 minutes yeah. of playing at an extended amount of time uh, at a fast pace, wide, defending, all of those sort of challenges. When you were saying going through the phases, <clears throat> I'm exactly with you there. I remember reading an article, and I would say 20 years ago, when it was in a rugby world. I think at that stage it had gone from rugby world and post, just being rugby world. Bob Dwyer had an editorial in it. <clears throat> And he talked about, at that stage, he was talking about, we don't go through the phases just for the sake of going through the phases. You know, he, and he was, he was like, Bob Dwyer was black and white. He goes, each different attack should, should ask a different question. Now, that isn't necessarily effective. Sometimes doing the same thing, for example, pick and go twice in a row or three times in a row can be very effective. But his point was like, we want to ask questions with each phase of the attack. So you get people having to make decisions. He goes, that's where most rugby players fall down. It's not through a lack of bravery. Uh, and he said, <clears throat> he was talking about like professional level or a high level, and it's not through a lack of fitness. It's going, you make players make decisions, which they're not sure what they should do. He goes, that's where gaps are. So one of the other things in terms of uh, continual play that Leinster did in the second half when they had the benefit of a bit of a wind was... They kicked the ball a lot, and they did the um, they did the Entomac kick, which is like uh, Brett Ego or Igo was was commenting on it in on Twitter as well about 
you kick the ball to the posts. If you're playing a 13-2 defense. Post route. Yeah, exactly, post route. Exactly, except you don't send a receiver down there to catch it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they, they, the two men in the backfield cover a half each. Kick the ball down to the posts. And as long as you don't kick it dead, you know, they are, the big, the big issues are how quickly can they get back to their own support. So something that's very noticeable on that is how quickly the players of the... So, if for example, in this case, Leinster kick, how quickly the Munster players who's they just had the ball kicked over their head, how quickly they get back so that their fullback you know, or, say, winger only has to make 15 metres forward to get back to support rather than if they just turn around and look at the ball going to their head and then start moving backwards. So when you kick it and you can see where the ball is going without having to turn, you have maybe a four or five meter head start, but then it's all about work rate. And the work rate of the Leinster chase was, I wouldn't say uniformly excellent, but uniformly good. Well, I think another, it hasn't been highlighted as much as the 50-22s, but like kicking the ball over the goal line, but without it going dead, is Huge change, enormous advantage. Yeah. So, like kicking the ball even like down the middle and just deep towards the goal line, and knowing you, like this isn't going to roll dead, but it might go over the, their goal line. Like that's an enormous shift in terms of uh, attacking advantage for a smart tactical kicks. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to say about the going through the phases, I was watching the Ireland England match oh. a few weeks ago with a friend who has only a passing interest in rugby, but I was watching it. He lives in London, so I was watching yeah. it with him. And um, he said to me something that I just never thought of. And he was like, Ireland, we're going through the phases. And the phase counter came up on the like BBC coverage or the ITV coverage. And he goes, that doesn't mean anything, does it? And I was like, yeah, no, actually, no, it means absolutely nothing. Like they bring it up after five as if it's some kind of achievement. Mm-hmm. But it means absolutely nothing. It has no bearing on the rules. It's like if they started something showing something on the screen during cricket or during NFL, where there's like loads of statistics on the screen. It was just mm-hmm. like, this is of some interest, but absolutely no importance. Yeah, it's, it's like, not like fifth tackle it? in rugby league. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, but it's like, oh, a move has gone through five phases. It must be good. And it's like, no. And then you have the, you know, the exceptions, I think, which are like the Le Drop and then several like other famous monster drop mm-hmm. goals at the end of things where they've gone through 30 phases. And it's like, yeah, it's interesting when you count them up at the end. It's not interesting as you go through them. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's uh, going through the phases uh, discussed in three different ways. Um, one of the other, well, I, I'll I'll bring it back to a fourth way because I there was two particular points that really impressed me about Leinster's ability to switch on in the danger zone. Now, one of them was a set piece, and it was right at the end of the first half, and Munster basically had to win their own scrum. And, and then kick it, off. kick it off. And Leinster instead got a shove on um, and then put in a monster of a tackle and then put in an even more of a monster of, uh, of, of a counter mm. rook and got a penalty. Now, I think that was the one where Ringrose didn't pass to Keenan. Was that, the, was that that move? Or was that a different one? That was earlier. That, that was, was earlier, earlier, was it? So that was one instance where Leinster, when they really needed to turn it up, turn it up. And then I think it was James Lowe's second try in the 22. Leinster went through a number of just worn out yeah. phases where the rooks were so quick. Oh, tight. And the guys were running 
into so much venom. And even like Ross Maloney, I think Ross Maloney was 19, wasn't he? Yeah. And right. he came on and he sort of overran the ball and then had to go back. And then Gibbo gave it to him and he still he still burst through. And you're just like, Jesus, we've stressed the bejesus out of, yeah. out of this defence. So it's not just a matter of, oh, we go wide, we go wide. It's not just a matter of, oh, we just go through loads of phases. But if you go through, if you reset the offline. So the thing about going through the phases is from a defensive position, you're, the offside line resets. Every time there's a breakdown, the offside line resets. Everybody else has to get back to it or you force a penalty. And as a consequence of having to get back, you have to rearrange your defence. So breaks will breaks will occur plus guys tend to get sucked in mm. if you're def- if you're attacking in the same part of the pitch three times in a row and it's very quick you, you'll force the defense to honeypot yeah because somebody has to make those tackles in close which will create the space out wide and th- that's is kind of a combination of offside line and honeypotting that made the space for low but again it was an extremely coherent stepping up of tempo mm. uh, in a danger zone and it, it just the sharpness and the awareness that like the kill is on here mm. yeah the intensity and clarity of all the execution yeah. and then never letting them off the hook by going, by fumbling the ball at all and just going oh you know just giving them a breather. oh yeah that reminds me of another talk of so that was that was the one where ring should have passed yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the fifth like going through the phases thing was was came from the uh ireland france women's game which i was watching and and the commentators go they just need to go through the phase you don't know what you mean is they need to stop fucking dropping the ball you know uh it's a case of in that case it was like what you're looking for is continuing what you're like going through the phases does the, the one positive I'd say of just like the phase counter is it means you're not making mistakes. You know, you're not getting turned over at the breakdown. You're not going in at the side. You're not dropping the ball. You're not knocking it on. You know, so there is like, I suppose that's that's one thing is like it's a phase counter in in one uh, aspect shows at least that you're a, a core competency of the basics of rugby. So I guess the I've kind of taken over your <laughs> your role switch here. Switch us around. Of, um, Anyone can play scrum half. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott Penny can. Um, of keeping the ball in the pitch, going through the phases, kicking down the middle of the pitch was that Leinster denied Munster lineouts. Yeah. So we were going through the Leinster stats and counts up to like twelve lineouts that Leinster won, whereas. Munster had five lineouts in the game, and then they said it during the commentary, and then you said it afterwards. And I'm not sure if they're independent of each other or you've seen different stats. No, it was from the commentary. It's from the commentary, the 51 percent of Munster's URC tries have come from lineouts, and then Leinster took that away from Munster. Conversely, uh, Munster gave it back. Like Munster's clearance kick. But let's let's concentrate on on just Leinster's um, intent with kicking. And and again, I go back to that word that you use and the clarity of it. So you were talking about when a team plays 13-2, typically when a team plays 13-2, they'll position guys, let's call it wide, either yeah. in between the tram lines or on the 15, on either side of the pitch, which means that's where the grass is. And like if there's one thing when you kick in rugby, if you can find the grass, it's a good kick. Yeah. And I... I realised this a match always stand out for this was uh, Ulster played Stade Francais David Humphreys played for Ulster so long time ago and he was towards the end of his career he just kept on 
hitting the grass with his mm-hmm. kicks, whether it was long, whether it was short, whether it was going across, whether it was a chip. He and he had Stade Francais, he was in Ravenhill, he had Stade Francais tied up in knots by just chipping onto the grass. Because you don't know which way a rugby ball is That's going it. to bounce. The key you one. have a fairly good idea if you're playing a pro because you know which way he's trying to get it. You can pretty read the flight of the ball. But it's awkward. It, 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 it's awkward to go and pick up. Like You have to stoop to pick it up. And you have to look at the ball. You can't look at the players that are around you. Um, and you typically have to run to get the balls. You're, you're counter-attacking as hard. And it's like you have to think through it mm. of what you're going to do. So Leinster were very on message about doing it and then were able to execute it. Yeah. And, t- and more often than not, it's, it's it was Ross Byrne. Yeah, and the other thing is it's a team-wide discipline because one of the things that referees have been told to look for, and we all know that in the Six Nations is encroaching either in the 10, uh, if the if the ball is kicked short, that you're like coming, you didn't get out of the way of the ten rather, uh, the ten meters, uh, or that you just advance before you've been put on side. For example, Sexton gave away a penalty against England. You recall for just being not even like a big like rangy kick, just a chip through, and he was trying to take a cheat line in front of it. So referees and touch judges are looking for that. And when you're fatigued and you know that somebody's <clears throat> just kicked the ball, and you know that you're like. It's part of my job. It's like to get up there and put pressure on. Your decision making isn't always great, and you just you go. I have to just fucking stay completely still. I have my hands up until I've been put on side, and I have to work. You like you can't afford to take a cheat line anymore when because because basically of Entomac and how France played. Like that Entomac just showed so much discipline throughout the Six Nations. Entomac of all people, who I was so surprised by, of just like I'm going to consistently kick the ball in the middle, and even in internationals. I felt that there was like, especially in the Welsh game, I have to say that the Welsh will broke because he thought, oh, maybe this is just me, but like subconsciously thinking, oh, this looks shit for the people here. Like I'm not, we could literally just kick the ball back and forth down the middle of the park for like four minutes in a row and just get booed and whistled. So one of them decides, oh, I'm just going to put it out. I'm not saying that's the only decision making thing. Sometimes they just put into such a disadvantageous position that they're like, I have to fucking put this out. But other times you're going, like, Entomac just broke their will by just kicking the ball down the middle all the time. And all the French players are disciplined and stay still until they're put on side. So it's a, it's a, it's an effective tactic. And as you say, like, throughout the second half, it was mostly Ross Byrne, but uh, also James Lowe was, was, had a, a couple of good kicks that just put Munster down in their 22 and they're trying to exit from there. Once they had a you know, successful exit, a very good up and under, and then Calvin Nash got in a hit. There was a fumble, too much fumble in the bloody back line. Um, uh, but other than, other than that, they're, like Munster were just sort of box kicking from the base of, of a rock, you know, five to 10 meters out and put it into touch on the 22 or just outside the 22. Um, speaking of Ross Byrne, I thought it was his most Sextonian performance for uh, Leinster. Sextonesque or Sextonian? I went for Sextonian. Okay. Um, he was running towards the line and like giving, like taking, showing different options with passes. Like there was a guy running short in front of him who he wouldn't hit, and he would guy running deeper who he'd hit. And it was a far cry from the like tall Raj standing and chewing gum. <laughs> uh, five meters back in the pocket. I thought he was he was absolutely brilliant. And yeah. he was the he was the best out half 
on the pitch of the three who performed, well, Frawley came on at the very end, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, I mean, sorry, I don't, I, I know we're, we're mainly trying to talk about Leinster, but I thought he put his opposition number in the shade. Oh, yeah, I, I thought he pretty pretty dominated that game. I thought garbage a grand, like, but uh, in terms of Ross's ability to pull the trigger in goal line situations, you know, twice he throws these big, brilliantly judged passes. You're going, that's exactly the pass that needs to get thrown, delivered perfectly. Did it, only had two times he, he had the opportunity to do it, both of them executed perfectly. Uh, and his kicking throughout the second half was excellent. And then the other, the other big plus that you always get from Ross is just doesn't miss any tackles. You know, he's playing against, like, Dialende is a fucking like, world, world-class, world, world-class, top, top pro. But he's a world-class 12. And, like, having to, and he's such, he's such a beast. You notice it at every breakdown. It's like, oh, you have to send in, like, two lads all the time to, to get on to Dialende. And, you know, having him that huge monster running at you all the time, is, it's an absolute testament to his, to his, uh, to Burns, uh, Part, like technique firstly obviously and then also just like resilience to keep on getting in there and doing his job properly big so guy as well. he ross like ross is big yeah. so yeah it's a really really strong performance for him i watched it back and i was i still struggled to put it back sorry i still struggled after watching it back to identify why i why he played well and really what struck me was that he was in the right place a lot mm. and one of the great truisms I read uh, Clive James wrote a number of memoirs his first memoir was called Unreliable Memoirs mm. and it chronicles his growing up in Sydney it chronicles actually like his his parents in the first chapter and his, his father in the second world war being a prisoner of war in Japan and um it's a really good read and I've read it more than once and I've read it with a, a long gap in between and when when James was in university and then had, had graduated, he, he worked as an editor and he worked in a newspaper and he worked in, uh, in, in like for a publishing house. So he used to, re he used to get a lot of manuscripts uh, for people who had written I'm going to say who had written books and like, does a book have to be published? So they'd, they'd written tomes that they'd, yeah. written, they'd written tomes that they wanted yeah. published. Um, and he said that having read an awful lot of bad, good, mediocre, um, he said like the key to good writing was putting things in the right order. And I was there, holy shit. That is a brilliant analysis. Yeah, of, so pity of, of of what it is, and it's something that I try to keep in mind when I like when I see my own emails back. I go uh, like, just you left out words here, you're just distracted there. Or if I write something, I try to I, I try to get it like, what is the order that yeah. this needs to be in for somebody to to read it? Like for the emphasis that I wanted them to to get from this to be contained in what I'm writing here. And that's what hit me about Ross, is just like, you need to stand in the right place more often than not yeah. to play out half, to give shape to the team around you, to be available to your scrum half again more often than not. 
and that's the key because you're talking about Jimmy O'Brien playing out half for Newbridge and then playing sevens and then you think to yourself well like Jimmy O'Brien is a, a brilliantly elusive runner he's got a very good skill set why the hell isn't Jimmy O'Brien playing number 10 for Leinster and you go I don't know but he's not like and they obviously see them in training all the time and they have the ability and they're going no Ross is a better out half there's 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 stuff going on that I gotta say like the unseen work like you that you you can't see you can't really appreciate watching it but putting that structure on it just just doing those basic things well again and again and again is is that the only thing like is that's a lot of the role that's a lot of 10 as you said before that's a lot of the role yeah you said before like the scrum half is about like the pace of the game and then the out half is about where the space is you know and that's when you play like when you have a good scrum half and a good 10 playing together they complement each other like Dupont's obviously just like fucking does everything you know but mostly he just makes loads of things happen himself like he's like a one man gang and uh, but like Gibson Park brings a lot of of brings a lot of pace to the game and how Leinster play. And he's obviously a very good decision maker in his own right. But like Ross, yeah, Ross is like puts Leinster in the plays, puts Leinster in the right areas of the pitch so often. And when I say that, it's not like, oh, because he kicks us there. It's like, no, because he fucking organizes the players around him, gives them the ball at the right time. And obviously, like, he does kick us down there a lot as well. But then, and then when he's there, it's like, oh, pull the trigger. And we get five points. But he has this huge bank of experience of actually, like, extremely important, high-profile Leinster games. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I remember, in particular, I think it was in Exeter, the home game, in the, when we had them in the, in the group yeah, stage. Yeah, And he came on after, like, I, I think we possibly missed when he came on because we came in after three minutes. And he, he'd already come on. Yeah. Uh, for and he took a massive knock when he, he came on. He, he, uh, yeah. He, uh, he took a massive blow and it was like, oh, we might, who is going to end up? And he, he sold John, played the whole game. And he played, he played huge games in that campaign. And that was the, that was the year they won the, 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 yeah. the cup. Um, also, it was, uh, was the out half for the extra away quarter final, which so, like, sort of gets overlooked because we lost the next game against, um, against La Rochelle away. But like winning away in Exeter... It was like a big fucking ask, yeah. And you know, steered us through that he, very successfully. He has, he, I just, he has huge, huge bank of like real important games for Leinster. Also, and a huge uh, bank of games, full stop. Yeah, like, I think he must be on about one hundred and thirty games. Yeah, um, and I mean, certainly now that he's signed up for a new contract, I think he's destined to break Leinster points records. No, I was, I was thinking of this why he doesn't. We don't kick many penalties anymore. So in I look back through Sexton's scoring record and it was pretty regular. Sexton's first stint with Leinster, like he'd be getting 190, 220 points because we kick penalties. And now like you see that Ross has like on some seasons like 44 conversions or 47 conversions and you're going. And whereas in previous seasons, like Sexton might have like 39 penalties. And you're going 39 by three equals... More than 44 by <laughs> Put my pass mats on the spot there. But you know what I mean? So he is like... 117. He's, uh, <laughs> so he's going to have to... We're going to have to just like fucking shut the game down and just keep pedals from now on. <laughs> Get him over the line. Um, any last thoughts on the Leinster game before we wrap up talking about that? I know you'd, 
you'd actually mentioned specifically to me uh, uh, Jack. Um, Jack Dunn. Jack Dunn's performance. I thought he had a super game. This is a guy who has a selection has not gone his way at all this season. Um, well, he also he missed a significant portion of the season with injury. Um, and it was now, his biggest game for Leinster, though, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, as I said to you, I think I mentioned to you just the other day, like, it's not like he has nowhere to go. He's not playing for a contract. It's not like maybe somebody will see this and, and you know, give me a He knows where he's going. He's going to Exeter. They're a good club. Um, and he'll do well there. So he pitched up and just put in um, just such a hard work performance. He's always been a guy for such a big man, like really active, very very quick off the ground, and he's just always running either here or there. And one of the things that's really noticeable is like he gets in good positions to receive offloads. Often the offload isn't on, and then he does this like reverse scoot round to come in from the Leinster side of the rock. Uh, so his work rate was superb. Scrummaging was very good. Uh, we used him uh, on occasion. I think, I think he was a target once in the lineup, but his lifting is excellent. And then obviously when you're six foot eight long levers, you can get a great lift going. But really the most impressive thing about him was like the amount of work he gets through, his activity and how he's always in motion. Never standing still. You know, if the ball is up in the air, he's moving, like he's sort of moving back and forth, if it's, if it's the Leinster kick, he's making sure he's onside, he's jogging. And if the ball's kicked overhead, he's moving backwards so that the fullback or the wingers, he's coming towards them and closing the distance from both sides. So yeah, really impressed with him. He'll be a loss to Leinster next season. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Someone needs to stop him. Points at the game. What we really need to talk about. Yeah, the real, the real issue. <laughs> I was uh, disgusted with myself for being sick last week and I couldn't do the podcast because I wanted to talk about Jerry Thornley's article about banning points at the game. It's more to do with the article itself than uh, in particular the issue. I think the issue of saying no more points from five minutes before kickoff Till like the full time whistle or five minutes before you. Let's let's be. I think I, just... I think I think that's kind of like a fine suggestion to start making, to start picking through like the atmosphere at various Irish games, and taking a sample size of three. One against Wales at one o'clock. It was fucking shocking weather, and we the atmosphere was good until thirty minutes when we knew we'd won the game. Italy game, fucking disaster of a rugby yeah. match. Everyone knows it. And the third one, going like, Ireland could have won a championship. Everyone knew Ireland weren't going to win the championship. And, and we beat Scotland all the time. So going like the atmosphere wasn't fucking good at these games where like there was 30 minutes of stuff to play for is rubbish. And comparing it to a Grand Slam decider in Paris on Saturday night against the fucking English is total fucking nonsense. <laughs> when France have spent like the last 10 years booing their team the first time they can see the fucking bad bourgeois shits. <laughs> so, <laughs> what would this have been like last week when he was really head up? <laughs> no, it's not. I'm, I'm, I, I, the, other, the other thing is like, there are loads of valid points about it, but I think if you put out an article which is like, the atmosphere at games isn't that great. And it's like, like yeah, well, fucking rugby matches are like really, really stop start. And like, they're not always super dramatic. And like, especially Six Nations matches, you just want Ireland to win. And sometimes there isn't something on the line. Well, it was, I said it to you because well, we were at the game. We were at, at the Italian game, all three of us together. And our seats were like on the dead ball line, like past the, cor- past the corner flag, really low. Like, seats were full. <laughs> 
ordinary, you know, and there was like injury, sorry, sending off first and then injury was like down to Ireland versus and it, it was on a Sunday afternoon and I remember leaning across to you and said, if I didn't have work and a meeting tomorrow, I would literally have 20 points during the game. It was a fucking bad game. Now, I didn't have any points and we didn't disturb anybody by getting up and down. The big issue was like, it's not so much the points. If the points were delivered directly to your hand, there would be less getting up and down somehow. I don't know how you do it with a drone or something. Like, the, the issue is like constantly getting up and down for people. And like then they have, when they have points and they go on the base. But on the other hand, like I have been at games, like Leinster games. I mean, you and I were at the same game together. When we met up with one of our mates at halftime and missed the entire second half because we were drinking points with Goldie. Yes. So, no, no, so I've been and I've been late to games because I was too late in the pub before. Now most of the time, as you know, I go and see the warm-ups like I'm a fucking anorak about it. But there's other times when like, yeah, you're the guy who's like gets four points at a go, you know, twenty-five minutes into the game. I, I also I can't draw a hard and fast no, law here. No, I just I just I just it's more specifically about the article. I think also if you write an article about that, you're gonna get a load and you like Jerry Thorney doesn't tweet very much and he tweeted that one. You're gonna get a load of people being like, Yeah, this is fucking terrible. I'm fucking at stand up all the fucking time in the game. It's like because of course people who fucking agree with you are gonna reply and be like, Yeah, you're right. Listen, like he wrote an article then, like defending the low crowd at the Munster game and saying loads of different reasons for it. Yeah, Munster well. split between two cities. Confirmations, communions, late Saturday night game, uh, li- like the COVID, big co- COVID, yeah, COVID wave. Obvi- and, yeah. like, and it's like cost co- of living, okay. COVID, and Limerick hurling playing at yeah. Thurles. Yeah, right. So, oh, so loads, like, lots lo- of- loads of other things, but it's also like people are just getting going back to the Six Nations for the first time in ages, and they want to just have a good time and enjoy themselves and chat to their mates. And like, okay, so what's the fucking cure? Well, what's the cure to people chatting at the game and looking at stuff on their phones again? A purity test where they show what fucking rugby club they went to. Come on. It's a terrible, stupid article looking for cheap heat. And Jerry reported, reported like a reporter. And someone had stood up seven. <laughs> you love that one. Absolute fucking bollocks. And someone said to me in the replies, and it was like, oh, like, that's, you know what, 36 times someone in and out. It's like, there aren't 36 people in a row in the Aviva. You couldn't, that every single person going out once on their own. No, but see, if you stand up, if you no, stand up and come back. You and cannot stand up. <laughs> and also, no one counts something that happens 73 times. It's never fucking happened. Well, no, no, no. If somebody stands up and goes out to get a point, that's one. And then they come back with their yeah, point. Yeah, I understand. That's it's a 36 two. people, right? That's right? two. Yeah. And, and then, then they have to go that, for a leak. And then do that. Do they have that, to go for a leak. Do that in each half. Listen, I yeah. have... So I like have it's, 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 18, it's 18 people. Like, it, it can happen. Oh, it's going to happen. Um, I have been, I have but, been at... I have been at Ireland Scotland games on Sundays where nothing has happened in the rugby match, and all we've done is stand up and sat down. And I would say the maximum time I have to do it is twenty, not seventy-three. And I certainly didn't count up to twenty. No one counts up to seventy-three. It's bollocks. Anyway, Jeez, this is <laughs> a hard line. Great story. I just, I just think it's like <laughs> I, I have just, to say I, I agreed think, with listen, every premise of the it's, article. It's there should be a purity test. People like people are just getting back out and enjoying themselves. And they want to have a few points and talk about like rugby matches have always been like that. There's never been a point where it's like a total pure crowd of rugby fanatics. That's what Six Nations matches are like. I I think it's kind of putting lipstick on a pig. I would say that there's one solution is having non-drinking areas, which is apparently what they do in Australia, and you just go, which you'd have to change the ticket price for. 
Australia is a fucking nanny state. You'd have to also, but you'd have to also alter the contract with the catering firm. Well, you, you just go. You just can't bring back your grog. Mm-hmm. So you, you can you can go and order a pint. You just can't bring it back to your seat. So you can get up and leave if you want. Yeah, but just drink your beer in the concourse. Yeah. Now, the knock-on effect is that people just leave their seats and go. The, the real thing for me, and this is my my favorite topic. I love this. Go ahead. Is is ultimately the price of the ticket and the sort of... I thought you were going to say the other thing about... I am going to say the other thing and the sort of crowd that it naturally engenders, which is uh, pale male and stale or certainly <gasps> middle class and middle-aged. So if you have standing... Now have, we're at it. Now we're at it. You've got cheaper tickets and if you've got cheaper tickets, you can, you can basically get young lads to go you can get like you get you can so to my mind the north and what do young lads like doing drinking <laughs> <laughs> but they can hold it with the bladders and they'll smuggle in their own drink um yeah, the big takeaway from jerry's article is bring a hip flask <laughs> yeah. so but I, like with the standing thing the north end of of the aviva should just be standing great stuff 100 off should be standing and the schoolboy should be in a seated area, which is like not a great place to watch a match from, that, that end, but beside beside the north. And the ticket should be much cheaper. Ideally, they'd be on a season ticket for like, I don't know, 125 quid will get you all of Ireland's home matches. So you get your November internationals or 150 or whatever it is. Well, so, so what should the price be for like that that ticket? Should be 25, 30, 30 20, quid a game? Basically 30 quid a game yeah. or, or like 25. So like if, if you pay 150 quid, Three um, plus three. you're getting you might get two and three Novembers or you might get six yeah and you just go do you know what? we're gonna we're gonna sell this at 150 and it's gonna be standing and you're gonna be behind the posts at, yeah at a, at a low elevation in the North Terrace and we're gonna sell it directly through like some IRFU thing where like basically you just sign up like it's a season ticket holder arrangement and this is the deal and uh, you just lower the price point. Like, you make it accessible for lads to go who are going to go, I'll actually go to all six of these matches yeah. and watch it. Um, I'd love to go. And then for the schoolboy tickets, um, I I don't know, the age we live in, I, I don't know if, like, just having a load of schoolboys, I don't know if parents are into that, but, like, I think you have a family... And schoolboy, like, I think you have a family end where you go, we're going to have like a, a block of schoolboys and then we're going to have like a family block where you can buy two adults and two kids yeah. tickets and it's going to cost you, like for four tickets, like it's going to cost you 250 Yeah, quid, like you right? don't have to pay 100 quid Rather for a six-year-old. 100 quid for a six-year-old where you're going, Jesus, if I want to go, if I want to bring two kids, this is going to cost me 300 and I, I'm not going to go with another ladder because that's going to cost me 400 And this, this is just for tickets. This yeah. is before, like, any other cost. Before points for the kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as many as 73 each, I believe. <laughs> well, they've got to hold on to your pint glasses that you've pissed in, so you don't have to get up and down all the time. Um, I love that so, idea. And I think this ties in with something we talked about earlier off mic and on another day, so on another situation, <laughs> but about safe standing. Uh, so if they can change the if they can change just the fitting the seat fittings at the uh, north end because safe standing works on the same 
So you have the same rake of, of stand in terms of how deep you're going is in your tier. Like it doesn't, it doesn't require that you build a new stand. It's just like it's a seat with a rail or a row of rails in front of it. And then the seat can be locked upwards. So you can stand up and lean on the terrace. So that would be my idea in that because, you know, the IRFU do share the stadium with the FAI and they're probably going to be some sort of still period where safe standing isn't allowed. Maybe maybe it is, maybe I don't. I don't know yeah. about the legislation, but I think that that would be, that would be like the route forward. I know it's another capital expenditure, changing all the seats. The seats are only 12 years old. Gives us... Give the seats to Shamrock Rovers so they can continue their patchwork stadium. <laughs> um, but that's that's what I do, and I think I agree wholeheartedly with your premise. Like, just get get the some ticket. Not all the tickets have to be less expensive. You can make the most expensive tickets even more expensive if you want to be. If you want to offset the cost of making some of the tickets cheaper, like that would be that would be my feeling on it, because I think uh, a progressive tax essentially. Yeah, essentially, yeah. but though so that there are there are at least some tickets available at a like a not really high price. Uh, but also going back to the school games, like one the first game that I went to without an adult was like twenty uh, no nineteen ninety one World Cup game against Japan uh, into the schoolboy in the schoolboy terrace with uh, Philly and Domani and a bunch of people, and I was like, I still remember that really well. It was a great like it was just a great gig yeah it, I, I, listen lots of things that we've done differently I, w- chief among them I would stop playing fucking terrible music if you want people to concentrate on something uh, just let them look at the pitch you know and think about the rugby that's going to be played on it rather than fireworks and loud music yeah. and countdowns and bullshit that like do not add anything to experience and if you think you need them because you're not getting people's attention then you've got a problem with the whole but also that, that thing like oh it, it could be, oh, have you seen what like the University of Texas do or the Oklahoma Sooners you're going like that's a captive audience you're dealing with like people age pretty much between 20 and 24 who are all tanked up and go to the, like the university like that is a party waiting to happen yeah. Like you're not dealing with a bunch of fifty-year-old lads from PwC. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even because I went. I went to the Lansdowne Turner game on the Saturday, and I brought Owen. Like, mm. and I was hung over, and I was there going, "Jesus, like we both need to get out of the house." So, so we just get the train and go down, and then I'll get my bike. And we were watching the match, and they have the artificial pitch. Yeah, that abuts Lansdowne Road and I was saying to Owen that uh, when I used to go and watch Turner play Lansdowne you'd be in the main pitch in the stadium and it would smell of farts and cigars <laughs> and still I, still, I still associate Lansdowne Road with farts and cigars I and associate I it with going, Chris DeBerg and that's, Cowboy Abs <laughs> that's the smell of men that, that, that's, what, that's what rugby smells of just to wrap up uh, this evening's proceedings I want to say that watching um, Lansdowne versus Terenure on Saturday afternoon on Lansdowne stream was absolutely brilliant and the commentary was my, is my favourite commentary yeah. I've ever heard it was, it was a great game uh, and I agree with you the commentary was so fitting it was great uh, it was, uh, it was Mick a, Quinn and Moggy wasn't yeah, it uh, like just two, two, two really sound lads having a chat but then also airing every single 
uh, AIL club grievance there ever was. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine, you can imagine them standing in the most, in the most well-natured yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> they were very. Like I thought it was so. Uh, I thought both commentators were really magnanimous. Yeah, and you could sort of see them, like you could almost picture them, like sort of leaning towards each other <laughs> to speak. I thought it was. I thought, it, but the standard of rugby was savage. Yeah. I thought I'd also fair just fair play to Lansdale for putting it on. It was great. To yeah, watch it was it. great. But the Cappuccino Cowboys in frothy form at the moment. Their second try. 